Welcome to the InterPares podcast series. This podcast is brought to you by the InterPares Parliaments in Partnership EU Global Project to strengthen the capacity of parliaments, funded by the European Union and implemented by International IDEA. The series aims to bring parliaments closer to your everyday lives. Embark with us on the InterPares journey as a pilot project as we bring you stories from parliaments around the world. I am Ingrid Walker, Program Officer for the InterPares project and I will be your host for today's episode. Today, we'll explore how parliaments have innovated since the pandemic started and whether some of these innovations are here to stay. What are the strengths and weaknesses of the digital innovations we have seen? To answer these questions, we will hear from the Interparliamentary Union and the Centre for Innovation in Parliament on their work supporting parliamentary innovation, as well as more specifically at how the Centre has approached digital innovation since the start of the coronavirus pandemic. InterParis works closely with the IPU and contributes through EU funding to the work of the Centre for Innovation in Parliament. We will then hear from the People's Majlis, which is the Parliament of the Republic of the Maldives, and from the Romanian Senate to learn how these parliaments have mobilised in record time to hold online sessions. Our first guest joining us from the IPU's Centre for Innovation in Parliament is Dr. Andy Williamson, with extensive experience in digital communication, social and tech innovation, participatory research and more. Thank you so much for joining us, Andy. Um, you've been the lead author of the World e-Parliament Report in 2016 and 2018, and you're now in the process of writing the 2020 e-Parliament Report. Um, how is the latest iteration of this report different than the previous ones? And how is the Centre for Innovation in Parliament looking at the crisis from a digital innovation perspective? Well, the obvious difference in the previous reports and this one is um, the coronavirus pandemic, because what we've seen is a, a lot of very rapid and involuntary innovation in a way from parliaments. And we're trying to capture that. We're trying to find out what parliaments are doing and understand the process that they're going through to arrive at the solutions that that they have. Um, We're trying to see what the factors are that lead to good decisions and what parliaments are struggling and finding it difficult and what's causing those difficulties. So in terms of the e-parliament report, there's a lot of solid data that we have around uh, strategic planning, the political commitment to IT, the the budget process, the staffing process, and the systems that they have in place. So we can look at um, the, the data that we have and compare that with what parliaments are doing. And we can see trends that the, the parliaments that have good, strong IT practices, strong strategic planning in place, good political buy-in, are the ones that have been able to move more quickly. So when we come back to the report, we'd like to find a way of incorporating some of this into the next e-Parliament report, which will be hopefully the, with the time frame we have at the moment, although you know, project timeframes are anything at the moment. They, who knows where we're going to be in 12 months' time? So we should be coming out in the first quarter of next year. But um, yeah, let's, let's make no promises on any of that at the moment. And what have you found to be most surprising looking at how different parliaments have approached virtual functioning, remote voting or digital engagement with citizens? The really interesting thing is don't assume who's good at it. Because you have in your head when you work with all these different parliaments and you know what they're like and who can do stuff and who who finds it difficult sometimes, you have in your head a list of parliaments you think are going to be 
really fast to respond and do a fantastic job. And that doesn't correlate with the reality. Uh, there are some real surprises in there. Parliaments that we, we wouldn't necessarily have expected have done really clever things very quickly. And some of the parliaments where we might have expected to see a, a more sophisticated response have been very weak, and very slow for a variety of reasons. But um, it, it's an interesting one. There's some very, very interesting solutions out there from some for a real range of parliaments, big and small, um, wealthy countries and developing countries. So then if you were to put together a checklist uh, for a parliament choosing a digital platform, what would be the main criteria that should be taken into account and what would be your, your take on that? Most of the time, the platform itself is not largely relevant. There's a whole variety of platforms and you can go in a number of directions. What's important is to understand the, the situation that you're in. So in terms of the checklist, you're going to start with, have you got a political commitment and buy-in to do this? So will the, the members do this? The second thing is, are we allowed to do this? So from a legal or regulatory point of view, do we have to change the law? In the case of Chile, the constitution. In the case of the UK, the standing orders of parliament. What do we have to do to enable a remote sitting of parliament and remote voting and whatever else it is we want to do and ensure that the laws passed through that process are not open to challenge? So there's, there's quite a bit of legal work to do before you even move into thinking about how you're going to do it. The next thing is then what kind of sitting do you want? Do you, want a, um, do you want a completely remote sitting where nobody's there? Well, what we've seen actually is a tendency towards hybrid sittings where there's a few members, 20% in the chamber and 80% outside. So how are you going to do that? What technology do you need? So we've got legislative management systems. How do you get the paperwork to the members in a timely way? How do you connect them into the chamber? How do you manage that debate? Um, do you need translations and a live interpretation service? And what existing platforms and systems do you have? And will that affect your choice? And then the last thing that comes up is how do we vote? And how do we ensure that that voting is secure, rigorous, etc.? And security, obviously, is a big one on the checklist. And finally, how do we maintain openness and transparency? So how do we continue to publish what we're doing and broadcast what we're doing to, to the public? Indeed. And to come back to the security concerns, uh, there have been some real concerns in this regard um, related to Parliament's meeting virtually and with Zoom being criticized perhaps the most. And yet quite a number of Parliaments are using Zoom for their online sessions. So are these concerns well-founded or do we need to look elsewhere uh, to address those concerns? Oh, they're absolutely well-founded. There is not one single online tool that does not have a security risk. As soon as you introduce the internet, you introduce a security risk. So everything that you do online has a risk associated with it. They're overstated in terms of there is, um, there is Zoom and there is Zoom. You can just sign up on the website and use it to talk to your, your mother or you can pay an awful lot of money and have a localized install that you lock down so it's within your domain. And that's Zoom, but run a very different way. So mm -hmm. there are a lot of things parliaments can do, depending on the budgets and what they choose to do, to make it far more secure. But none of these tools are completely safe. It doesn't matter which tool we choose. There are risks associated with it. And the challenge with Zoom actually has not been the technology so much as the um, person sitting at the other end of it. So where we have seen problems with it, it's because 
somehow the meeting passwords and IDs have been leaked out into the public domain, either by accident or perhaps maliciously, I don't know, in any particular case. But that's, that's how it, it generally seems to happen. So looking at the, the broader picture, are virtual parliaments or some measure of the innovations we see here to stay? Um, how can parliaments ensure that they modernize and innovate in a structural way um, rather than employing haphazard short-term solutions that might just be discarded once the crisis has passed? Yeah, it's a really good question, isn't it? Because a lot of people have just had to react so quickly and just do things. I think what we've seen now, if if you look at the whole coronavirus pandemic and the situation parliaments were in, there was a period early on, that first month, where it was, oh my, what are we going to do? Let's just try stuff in a lot of cases. And looking around, scrabbling around for ideas and share a lot of sharing ideas. And the second month, we've kind of slowed down a bit and we've got some good ideas how to do it. We've got a lot of things we've tried. And now I think what we're starting to see is a third wave, which is, okay, what of these things that we've put in place are here to stay? Where are we getting the benefits from it? Um, and it's, it's really interesting because I think with committees in particular, committees are a lot easier to manage virtually. And we've seen some real benefits from, from remote committee sittings, not just in terms of for the members, but actually getting a wider body of evidence into them. Um, also, it's an opportunity to open them up a bit more to public scrutiny. Plenary is a different thing. I think we've lost with the virtual plenary the the cut and thrust of the political debate. I, th- I don't think the virtual parliament lives up to our expectation of what we would like to see a parliament in terms of the rigorous debate and scrutiny. It's a little stilted and a little difficult to get the, the kind of passion and debate. Maybe in some cases that's not a bad thing, but it doesn't quite recreate the physical. But what it does do is in countries where they're geographically dispersed, uh, it gives MPs a chance to spend more time in their constituencies. I think, you know, for whatever reason you choose to do that, there are some benefits to, to doing this virtually. But we have to find a balance because I do agree that the physical parliament is a better thing. But long term, where does that line sit? I don't know. We're going to find out. I don't think we're going to see a, a massive onset of virtual parliaments in the next few years. But some of the innovations that are coming out of this, I think, will stay. I think voting is is an interesting tool. Spain has had uh, remote voting for absent members for, for quite a long time, about seven, eight years. And I think that's something that parliaments could adopt. Better publishing of information, better apps for members to access information, which takes us into the efficiencies of the paperless parliament, which is a bit of a, a buzzword. But actually, this is a real way of doing it. So improving the digital processes and the information flows will be a a spin-off from this. Hopefully learning about the processes of Parliament and how to make it more effective also. Um, And and I think one of the downsides is we've lost some of the openness and transparency that we've seen in Parliament, and we will have to get that back. So we'll have to think how we integrate digital Parliament and the open Parliament so that they they work more hand-in-hand. It's kind of ironic that the emergency digitization of Parliament has lost the one thing that the digital age has brought us, which is the openness of Parliament. But I think we'll reconnect that at some point. It will be interesting to see what happens in the coming months and years as the crisis fades away and we're just left with what comes next. Um, thank you so much for joining us, um, Andy. Uh, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thanks very much, Ingrid. Our next guests joining us from the Maldivian Parliament are Mohamed Hussein, ICT Director, 
and Hassan Ziao, Director of Media and Communication. Thank you so much for joining us. We're delighted to have you here with us. Um, the story of how the People's Majlis became one of the first parliaments in the world to hold virtual plenary sessions is an exciting one. It does seem that this crisis broke down some of the stereotypes that we always assumed to hold true, such as that the parliaments with the most resources would automatically be center stage in digital innovation. You have proven that this is not the case. So March 7th sees the first two cases of COVID-19 recorded in the Maldives. On March 12th, a public health emergency is declared. Fast forward to the end of the month, and the first online session of Parliament takes place on March 30th. We're eager to find out what happened in, in between. Once it was established that the rules of procedure allow for remote meetings, how did the process for establishing a virtual chamber kickstart? Which technological solutions were selected and why? We try to manage with uh, the hardware and software that we already have as we don't have the time and budget to purchase new items. As part of the Microsoft Office 365 package we had earlier purchased, we already had the required licenses for Microsoft Teams, which is the video conferencing platform that we have used. We also used uh, other freely available tools for various supplementary tasks. For example, uh, for remote connection, for streaming, uh, or for establishing a secondary communication channel. And how did these meetings work in practice? Um, what are some of the challenges and technological difficulties you encountered that needed to be overcome? At first, it was a high challenge for us because uh, this is the first time we are doing something like this. And uh, we were also uh, learning. Um, we are trying and uh, resolve any issues we faced. Uh, the most important thing I want to highlight is the internet bandwidth issues. Uh, even though uh, at uh, Majlis we had sufficient internet bandwidth connection, uh, some members uh, don't, did not have sufficient internet connectivity or some members did not have access to a laptop. Uh, another thing is since we are doing this for the first time and this is unlike a physical meeting at the chamber, the organizers do not have a control over the members' audio inputs. For instance, uh, if we request the members to mute their microphones, sometimes they forget or sometimes uh, if they have not muted the microphones, there will be other unnecessary audio inputs and sometimes uh, acoustic feedback will be there. So those are some things that we had to deal with, especially during the first few sessions. Then one important thing I want to highlight is that uh, self-discipline and etiquette is uh, very important for a successful and smooth running of a virtual session. And what would be your advice for small parliaments that don't have many resources um, and are trying to navigate digitalization at the moment? My advice is that... Uh, even for small parliaments, you can actually try this uh, with the available tools because there are free tools. Even Microsoft Teams is free for now. So we can use Microsoft Teams without uh, purchasing license. And there are other free tools as well that, that can be used for video conferencing. But uh, if you want to stream live for YouTube or any other platform, uh, you will need a higher performance PC, uh, obviously. 
But other than that, uh, if you have sufficient internet connectivity uh, for the members and uh, for the chamber, uh, you will be uh, okay with that. How uh, actually was the voting system? How did that work remotely? At first, we had some challenges getting used to the system. Uh, we actually used uh, Microsoft Teams and Poly. Poly is an add-on for Microsoft Teams. When the organizer opens up for voting, there will be a uh, one-minute uh, duration for everyone to vote, and the vote will automatically close. Uh, but uh, during voting, when we were using Poly, there were some issues because some members' votes were not registered uh, due to some technical issues, maybe. But for some members, the votes are not registered. In such cases, uh, the organizer will request the members to vote by typing in the chat. But when the option is uh, open, actually the members can type in anything. But we need only specific words, yes, no, or extend. Of course. And um, Hassan, what are some of the lessons that you have learned in this process from a communication perspective? Uh, thank you so much for having us on the program, actually. Uh, when we decided to go virtual first, our main aim was to give the public assurance that the parliament is with the people. As my colleague pointed out that we relied on free computer systems and uh, we used Microsoft Teams. So with the limited resources, I think any parliament can go virtual. Of course, there are many technological challenges, uh, but there are options out there that small parliaments can adopt and use. Focusing on the second part of your question, when we first uh, started the online parliament sessions, you know, everyone was very skeptical of the idea. With the lockdown and increase in the internet usage and, you know, bandwidth issue and stuff. But with all the challenges, we did not give up. We had our first virtual session on 29th March. After the first session, people realized the importance of it, actually. We showed the other institutions that, yes, you can do it even during the lockdown, even during the pandemic, you know. And the one thing that I learned from all this, the parliament sessions were live streamed on social media and it was broadcasted to local TV channels right from our, you know, on the system in our living room, in my living room. But still we did it. So one thing that I learned from uh, that is if we have the will and flexibility to, to adapt to the situation, we can beat any situation. You know, fortunately, our parliament stand in order allows us to hold the sitting, uh, sittings virtually. So there was no conflict with that. So my suggestion to the smaller parliaments would be, if you have to amend your standing order or rule of procedure, go for it. Make it flexible and keep it ready for any challenges that might come in the future as well. I'm sure that advice will be picked up. And one final question that I have for you, Hassan, actually, is what has the parliament um, done in terms of engaging with citizens at this time uh, beyond broadcasting the plenary sessions virtually? And what are some of the ways in which parliament can communicate with citizens remotely? Uh, since 2019, with the implementation of, of our new communication strategy, our engagement with the public has increased, I would say, a thousand times more. <laughs> As you know, you know, the population of Maldives consists of youths and they spend a lot of time on social media and with mobile phones. So that is one area that we started focusing on. Beginning from the first session of the 19th uh, Parliament, which started on 29th May 2019, we started live streaming the sessions on YouTube channel. 
and also uh, another platform as I, as i mentioned social media you know <laughs> everyone is on twitter everyone is on facebook if you if you want to find uh, someone in maldives search first them on twitter or facebook <laughs> you'll find them there <laughs> so so we thought that we should use social media platforms to uh, pass our messages you know engage uh, the public with us uh, so we focused on that our followers on both of the platforms have like increased multiple times over the last uh, 12 months i would say and and we make sure that everything is posted on social media you know and also email and e submission is widely used by uh, many citizens to communicate with us people submit their comments suggestions on draft bills and other other things we are also developing a mobile application to further strengthen you know enhance the communication once we launch the mobile application i expect to you know be more flexible easier for people to engage with us they can watch the uh, settings live they can comment they can send us email they can you know comment on draft bills with the mobile application i think it will be very easy for everyone to engage even the people who are living in remote islands and we haven't stopped it there online and conventional media play a very important role uh, in our communication strategy uh, we provide them information video and photographic uh, material as well on, on real time that's great and indeed it's very timely given the world we live in i just want to thank you both so much for um joining us on the interparis podcast and um looking forward to hearing more about all the exciting things that the people's nationalist is doing thank, thank you. you so much for having us and let me tell you that we are preparing a documentary on the online sessions in partnership with some of the local media outlets that's excellent that you're doing that and uh, we look forward to to watching it thank you so yeah. much thank you so thank you so much for having us thank you Our next guests joining us from the Romanian Senate are Georgian Gervasie, Director of Communications, and Carlo Papuc, IT Director. First, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us. And as a fellow national, um I have to say I was really looking forward to the discussion for for some time. I wonder if we could start by um sharing with us how are plenary and committee meetings conducted at the moment at the Romanian Senate? as well as at the chamber of deputies first of all thank you also for uh, interviewing us and uh, it's a pleasure to meet you after january in uh, athens uh, when we had the last uh, live meeting here together all uh, i miss that uh, times and i will say uh, the first thing that's important that each chamber of the parliament uh, adopted its own procedures so our plenary and committee meetings are ruled by a special procedure approved by the Romanian Senate uh, uh, Standing Bureau. At the beginning of March, the plenary of the Senate uh, amended the internal regulation with online and also face-to-face plenary and committee meetings. The committee meetings are only online with uh, all the safety measures taken by the senators and staff. That includes a uh, mask, as, as you see. Uh, then the second step of the procedure is regarding the live broadcasting of plenary and committee meetings on the website. and uh, the third one the live broadcasting of plenary meetings uh, by the Romanian national uh, television back in march indeed romania proved to be quite an early innovator on march 19 we had the first online plenary session of both chambers um, in the history of the romanian parliament and not only that but also an online voting application was installed in record time what enabled the romanian parliament to act so swiftly 
um, both in terms of the virtual parliament setup, but also the online voting app. We had an online, online uh, voting web application that was developed uh, by the Chamber of Deputies because uh, the common plenary sittings are hosted by the Chamber of Deputies. In order to have the access to the parliament sittings, each member of the parliament received a code which offered the possibility to log on and vote. Uh, it's in a web-based application uh, developed in microsoftvisualcidal.net and um, they received the code each MPs, and uh, they can log on this web application on mobile phone or a tablet or laptop. And uh, the same thing for the MPs in the plenary hall. And a technical guy from Chamber of Deputies, uh, based on the list of the votes, select the, the vote, and uh, the president of the session asks the MPs to vote. And mm -hmm. they give them something like one minute and they vote online based on this. Now that you've explained how the common procedure works in Parliament, could you focus a bit more specifically also on um, how this procedure works in the Senate? The Standing Board of the Romanian Senate approved the procedure of voting, uh, which is uh, different a little bit. So the senators express their vote by phone. And um, Carlo will say more here, but I will give you the steps of the procedure. The plenary sittings is conducted by the president and the two secretaries, uh, like always. In the meeting hall are present heads of committees that they have some um, legislative proposals and um, also uh, the leaders of the parliament groups, but also senators uh, willing to be present. No restriction, only that the restriction of masks and, of course, and the social distance. Uh, the sentencing procedure is like that. One call at the end of the debates on all projects from the agenda that was, re that was read uh, by the president for every senator. And then uh, he or she mentioned the voting uh, options uh, by voice. Here, Carlo maybe will uh, say more. Uh, yes, the... Uh, the normal video transmission is based also on YouTube, uh, live mm. streaming. Uh, we use YouTube because it's a very short delay between the actual image in the plenary hall and uh, what the uh, MPs see on their phones. And we have a device where we connect all the voice calls from the mobile phones from the MPs to the audio system from the plenary hall. Uh, we don't use, uh, like in Zoom, <laughs> the image of the MPs on the big screen in, in the hall is not necessary. We want to try next month, I think, maybe, to propose to have also written vote. And what are the Parliament's plans going forward in this case? Um, of course, the pandemic is still ongoing, so committee meetings are still carried out um, online. And do you see this going on for longer including after the pandemic, although I know we can't foresee what will happen and uh, the end at the moment is not really in sight. But looking at it more broadly, you know, what are some of the advantages and disadvantages of virtual functioning for Parliament? If you allow me a joke, I will, I, I will answer here with a, <laughs> uh, with a question. What do you think that will be after? Uh, <laughs> when, when will it be after? Yeah, uh, exactly. We don't know. Uh, it's complicated. Everybody says that when summer is coming, every, everything could be uh, getting into the normal uh, uh, situation, normal standards. But as we see also in our country, that is not like that. 
And that's why I will say that we are very concerned here to respect all the rules because uh, the rules are coming from the parliament. And uh, the main parliamentary activity of the Senate was and uh, remains the debate of bills and legislative proposals. And during this period of time, all the laws that were debated and voted by the senator were extremely important for the citizens, for the health system after all, for the economy, because everything was uh, changing and uh, our lifestyle was changing. And without a debate, you don't have uh, parliamentary life. The senators uh, hope to return, and we are the technical staff for return to as soon as possible to face-to-face uh, debates. I wish you the best of luck with all the online processes and in-person processes. And I know you're both working over time to, to implement that and make sure that it happens. That is so. true. That I see that the, the personnel are working more and more. Now, when we are 29th of July, we are in a fully extraordinary session of the Senate. I don't remember since when we are, were not working at the end of July. Yeah, exactly. Um, so thank you so much for, for joining us. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Inter-Paris Parliaments in Partnership podcast. Subscribe to the Inter-Paris podcast on our website at inter-paris.eu, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. A big thank you to my colleague Elena Botanina and the Inter-Paris team for their contributions. 